We're going to be looking over in uh, the book of Jonah again in um, chapter 1, the book of Jonah, prophet Jonah in chapter 1. We uh, left off with, uh, well, we've had two messages. One was God's call to Jonah, and then we had Jonah's response to God. And this sermon is God's response to Jonah. <laughs> so, and I think, I think because what Jonah is trying to do here is he's trying to get us to understand that the main actor here is God and not Jonah. And Jonah is trying to say, this is what God did in response. And so we're going to be picking up with uh, verse 4. Um, and uh, we kind of touched on it last sermon, but uh, I want to just—I want us to look at how God pursues His servants. That God's relentless; He loves us too much that He's not going to allow us just to do any old thing. And so, notice what God does: God starts throwing things. Notice that verse four. But the Lord hurled; He threw. <laughs> He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, the God will give a thought to us that we will not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this thou hast, done, thou hast done, or that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so may the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, I know that there's a lot here in this passage, but uh, we want to, uh, Father, we just would want and desire that uh, you would show us more of yourself. Um, Lord, we sometimes get. Uh, so driven uh, in our lives to accomplish our goals and uh, things that we think are important, and yet 
Uh, Lord, you reorient our thinking and you pursue us with your convicting Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes you hurl winds and storms. And uh, Lord, we don't understand all that goes on there. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that um, you're faithful to do that. And so, Father, we thank you for this uh, truth this morning, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to each heart here today. My, my heart is included, Lord. I, I need you. I need your wisdom and your grace. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You know, some things we think of don't go together, don't we? I mean, for example, stripes and checks don't go together. Right, guys? <laughs> uh, there's things that we just think are odd that just don't go together. Um, the story was of a, a man who uh, had robbed a convenience store, and, and the uh, police, uh, they arrested him, and they were um, confiscating some of his stuff, and he had a pair of brass knuckles there. And, and, uh, and so as they were uh, taking care of some of those items, they asked they, the man who had been arrested, just said, uh, you know, uh, Sarge, be careful with those things. They're very sentimental. They're very things I really don't want to lose. And they're very precious to me. And, and as the policeman started looking, he noticed that there was a little engraving on the pinky of the, of the brass knuckles. And uh, it basically said, uh, all my love, Mildred. Uh, and you say, what does romantic love have to do with brass knuckles? <laughs> right? I mean, we'd say, that seems odd. Now, but for that man, it was, it was very, very obvious, uh, to him at least, that uh, Mildred was very special to him. And she'd given him those brass knuckles. I'm not sure for what. But uh, anyway, but sometimes we think God is like that, that when we see the storms in our life, and then we look at God's love for us, we kind of can't understand that how can the two go together? How can the storms and the struggles that we go through in life, how can those, how can those in any way reconcile with the fact that God's a sovereign God who loves us and he loves us so much that he sent his son Christ to die in our stead? And so, so as we read this passage in Jonah, I think we, what we see is that we see God doing something that we may not expect him to do in our lives. But God's committed to you and to me as his people that he will pursue us. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, think about it. The, the, the shepherd does what? He leaves the 99 and he goes after what? The one lost. You know, the woman who lost, had the 10 coins, she lost one and she does what? She sweeps the house going after the one coin. Uh, the prodigal son leaves home. The father doesn't leave home, but all the time the son is thinking about who? The father. And so even though those things seem to be somewhat out of kelter, or they don't seem to, you know, it's kind of like the, the son who comes to his dad and says, uh, as his dad's going to um, maybe spank him or at least enforce some uh, discipline, says, and the father says to him, son, I love you so much, and this hurts me more than it hurts you. And, and the child looks at the father and says, now how can that be? The two don't seem to go hand in hand. And yet that's what we see in uh, Jonah chapter 1. We, see, we basically see that there are certain things that God will do and they will surprise us uh, in our Christian lives. And what's amazing about this story is, is that Jonah is a prophet and prophets don't disobey God, right? 
I mean, you read the, all the accounts in the Old Testament, prophets, they might question like Moses, you know, Lord, I, just, I can't speak well. Don't send me, send somebody else. Uh, you, you know, you see Isaiah who basically is, is just overwhelmed at God's glory and majesty. And he says, uh, Lord, my, I, I'm a, I live around the people with unclean lips. And, and, and yet God says, I'm going to send somebody. And he says, send me. Well, Jonah doesn't seem to feel much conviction at this point in his life. In fact, if you can go down to Joppa, go down to the ship, go down to the, the bottom of the ship and fall asleep without sleeping pills or without something to help you get to sleep, then you obviously know that there's something wrong with Jonah at this point. He's hardened his heart to, to a large degree to God's word. And, uh, and we're thinking, well, now what else? Because Jonah's basically told God this, I'm not going, get somebody else, that's finished. End of story. And the story doesn't end with verse 3. God has other plans. He's not going to change those plans. Isn't it amazing? God, God's, God's not up there, boy, now, now what am I going to do? Let me see. Let me see. Well, I think I could do this. Well, maybe I could do No, God still has one plan. He didn't have to alter his plan because of Jonah's rebellion, his disobedience. But what, what we have in chapter 1 is what does God use to then get Jonah back on sync with his plan? And he uses three things here. One of them that he uses is he uses a storm. It says he hurls a storm or a wind on the sea, a great wind on the sea. And then we see that God also exposes Jonah's sin to the world, to those sailors. And then thirdly, we see that God does something else. He sends a great fish. And we can debate, was it a whale? Was it a huge shark? I mean, I don't know really whether we'll be able to settle that, that particular question. But the point is, is that God is pursuing Jonah, right? God's doing it. God did this. God did that. God, and you're kind of wondering, well, what else? What, what's it going to take to waken up a prophet of God to listen to the word of God. And I could say that based on what we see in Jonah's life is that God, God has a lot of different resources at his hand, right? Um, you know, some of us have read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis, and one of the things that uh, in that uh, particular account is, you remember uh, there's a, a girl named Lucy, there's Peter, Lucy, and a couple of other characters in that uh, particular chronicles. But anyway, Lucy is so she sees um, Aslan, who is a picture of Christ, represents Christ, and she asks the I think it's the beaver or one of the animals, and she says, "Is Aslan or is is God safe?" And you remember the animal comes back like this: "No, he's not safe, but he's good." And what we see is that, is God safe? Well, we shouldn't think of it in that terms because, in a sense, and that doesn't mean that we should be so afraid of him that we, we don't want to approach him, but God is always good, but he's not predictable. That's the, that was what, what Lucy was kind of thinking. Well, can we be, can we, is God predictable? Well, not necessarily. 
<laughs> we, he's going to use a lot of different ways and things in our life. And we can't manage God. God is, God is far above us, and he doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need a manager. He doesn't, he's not like the pro, pro players that go into, you know, they have an agent, and they have somebody that manages their, you know, their conditioning, and they manage their diet, and they manage this. Well, God doesn't need any managers. He's, he's in control. He's sovereign. And that's what we see here in, uh, in Jonah. So, so what's God doing here? Well, what, what happens is that, but you notice verse 4 doesn't say, and the Lord hurled a wind. It says, but the Lord hurled a wind. The idea is that this is Jonah says, I'm not going. And God says, okay, but <laughs> Jonah, I'm going to do something. And it's, that word hurled just means that it's, it's, it was used of taking, Saul took the spear and he hurled it at David. What do you think he was trying to do? He was trying to kill David, wasn't he? God's hurling the wind. Who's the target? It's Jonah. <laughs> God's basically saying, Jonah, this wind is for you. Uh, you know, and, and so God is doing that. He's pursuing Jonah because God loves Jonah. I mean, you think about, well, yes, God's got a work for Jonah to do, but Jonah doesn't want to do it. And yet God, in his goodness and his grace, uh, comes and he pursues Jonah with, uh, with, his, with this wind. And it's such a wind that, it, that it's not only is it going to break up the ship, and even with that, Jonah's still asleep. He's kind of, uh, he's checked out. I mean, you know, he's, he's ultimately checked out. He's, he's, kind of in a, he's kind of in his own orbit. And, uh, and God's, God is dealing with Jonah's heart at this point. Even though Jonah's deaf, to the, Jonah's deaf to what's being said, God is not deaf as to what he's going to do. And he's not absent here. And so, um, and so what's God doing? Well, he's, all this time, Jonah's been hearing the word of God, but he's, he's not doing it. Guess what God does? He turns up the volume. And what's the volume? It's the storm. It gets his it's going to get his attention eventually. And that's not yet, but it's going to get somebody else's attention, right? And it's going to get the, the, the sailor's attention. Uh, because, you know, you read this and you say, what's it going to take to get Jonah to wake up from his slumber and his indifference to the command of God? And we see that the storm is one of the methods that God's going to use. Um, and God will, by the way, use whatever means that he sees fit to do that. Now, some time ago, there was a Christian writer. He wrote an article it was in a popular Christian magazine. It said this, God will stop at nothing except our unwillingness to cooperate. And it's a boundary that God will, is determined not to cross. Tell that to Jonah. <laughs> Jonah's saying, I won't do it. I, Lord, I am determined to not do this. And God says, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, you could tell that to Jonah. Jonah said, I'm sorry, but that's not the God I serve. He's a God who, who's in control. I mean, he, he doesn't just take no for an answer if he's got something he wants me to do. And uh, so Jonah's going to learn this lesson that God uh, is not going to change his plan. God's plan is for Jonah to be in Nineveh, telling, warning them that... Uh, there's going to be destruction if they, uh, if they refuse. You know, uh, Le the story is told about Abe Lincoln. He, uh, during a cabinet meeting, he, 
he was determined during the Civil War, he was determined to get some things accomplished. And, uh, and so he held the cabinet meeting with his staff and, uh, they, uh, and he, he wanted to know their opinion and so they all took a vote. So he took a kind of a straw poll and all the poll came in and there were seven nays. And of course there was Lincoln's yay. He says the yays have it uh, and, uh, and then he moved on. And see, I mean, it does, I mean, it, when you're president, you can do that, right? <laughs> I mean, his cabinet doesn't have much authority other than the fact that he appointed them. Uh, but God basically, he doesn't ask for a vote here. He doesn't ask for Jonah's in, uh, input or his vote, although Jonah's already voted. Uh, but the yeses have it because God says, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and so sometimes it's hard for us to understand that, but God knows all the sequences ahead, Right? He knows all the if buts. You know, like when I'm doing, a, when I was doing a, a lot of the, uh, uh, they, they basically were call it contingency planning for, for, the, for the bank. Uh, you're always asking yourself, well, what if this happens? Then we'll do this. And if this happens, we'll do that. And if this happens, we'll do this. And you know what I found out? That all the times, all the ifs of what, and what I would do in those cases those, those never normally happened. It was something else. <laughs> it was something I forgot to include in my if statement. And God doesn't forget any of those things. He knows what exactly uh, that he's determined to do and will do. But what's the second way that God, God so, so God's working. The storm doesn't totally waken Jonah because they said, awake thou that sleepest, the captain says, and call on your God. And Jonah's kind of like impervious to it. It's kind of like, okay, well, you know, I've checked out here. It's not, 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 it's almost kind of embarrassing in a way because he's the prophet who has the real God, right? But then what happens is God uses something else. He uses the unsaved world. These, these are sailors. I mean, they, you know, most of the time, everything I ever heard about sailors are what? They're, they're, they're pretty wild and unpredictable and they're, you know, and they just, I mean, they're just, you know, they're just, they're unpredictable. They're just wild. Um, well, these were, these were sailors and, and these sailors come up to Jonah here and notice in verse six. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? You sleeper arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they cried to one another. And so what did they do? They said, come, let us cast lots. I just think this is so interesting because Jonah's hiding. Jonah's still hiding here. He's kind of like, I hope nobody catches me. And they cast lots, and guess what? The lots fell on Jonah. I mean, you know, we, uh, Jonah knew Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Jonah's caught. And uh, Jonah, I mean, so, so how does Jonah respond to that? So and they said, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And, what, and of what people are you? Uh, you know, it's kind of like you meet somebody and you start asking them questions. Well, now they're bombarding him with questions. Oh, okay, we want to know who's at the source. Who's the cause of all this? And Jonah at this point is, you can kind of say he's a fugitive on the run. 
And he hasn't really admitted anything yet other than the fact that he's going to say this. Guess what? Now, he doesn't answer any of those questions except the last question. And that is, is then Jonah told him, basically he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. And in that statement, he actually condemns himself. Because he's basically saying, I serve the true God of Israel. I would serve the one who made the sea and the land. I'm serving the true God of Revelation, the one who's the creator. And rather than an excuse, in fact, Jonah is condemning himself. Not, not, I don't think he's doing it intentionally, but he's certainly aggravating the problem, isn't he? It's kind of like saying, well, I serve the God who gave us the scriptures, and I know the scriptures, and... Oh, I guess I'm not obeying those. I'm not obeying those things. I mean, he's, he's basically saying, I serve the true God. He, he created me, and I'm rebelling against him. I'm just running the other way. And, and they're sitting there thinking, is this guy nuts or something? Because, I mean, they are, they're superstitious for one thing. They have their gods. They have a god of the sea and a god of the, you know, of, uh, you know, that, produces the fruit and they have a God who's the God of the sunshine and the God of the rain and all that kind of thing. And they said, and he says, no, I'm serving the true God who created it all. And, uh, and so in a sense, he's basically saying, you know, I really am doing something that's really stupid. You know, I'm, I'm directly disobeying the command of God. Um, and, uh, you know, and so Jonah is, so this is kind of like the first step. But then what happens is interesting that God is pursuing somebody else in this passage, isn't he? Think about who is God pursuing in addition to Jonah. He's pursuing these sailors. Because we find out that these sailors come to at least, most people think, a saving knowledge of Yahweh. Because they begin to call upon the Lord they fear God, which, was, which meant they were worshiping God. And then thirdly, they were doing something else. They were, uh, uh, it says that they were bringing sacrifices. So even though Jonah here is still blind to what God's doing, these soldiers, when he tells them he's a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the Larry land, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, in other words, they were, they were scared out of their wits is the idea. They were terrified that not only was Jonah the prophet of God, but that Jonah was running from God and disobeying God. And the storm was, was basically engulfing the ship. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but uh, even when I'm in a small boat and it's a lot of waves and stuff, it's still, I mean, I'm not the best swimmer in the world. And I'm th always thinking of, you know, what am I going to do if this boat, you know, just flips over on me? Well, this is, this is a, a ship that's just being engulfed by the winds and the waves. And it's getting ready to sink. And these guys are totally terrified. And it says that they're so terrified that, that they're saying, you know, what? Notice this. What is it that you have done? What is it you've done? That, so they're, 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 they're asking that question. And, it's, and it's, it's, I believe it's intended by God not to get Jonah's attention here, to, to cause Jonah to think about his indifference to what's going on in his life. And, uh, and so not only, but, but what's interesting is that God uses Jonah's disobedience to bring these sailors to submission and obedience to Christ and to God. 
Isn't it amazing that God can even use our disobedience? And these soldiers, in a way, they look a lot better than Jonah, don't they? <laughs> I mean, you think like, and, and they, and when he told them that, you know what they still tried to do? It says they rode harder. Well, we'll still try to get to land. And it says they couldn't do it. And then Jonah says, you're going to have to throw me in the sea. But I believe at that point, Jonah began to realize that they cared more for him than he cared for them. Because at no point does Jonah tell them about the true God of Scripture. He doesn't tell them, hey, you need to repent just like Nineveh. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't share that example at all. Um, but what's, what's amazing to me is that, you know, the Bible talks about God pursuing worshipers. Remember that passage in John 4? The woman at the well, right? Remember she says, she starts giving him excuses about her life. And Jesus says, but God the Father is, is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. That's the God of Scripture. He's pursuing people to worship him in spirit and truth. He's pursuing us. I mean, you, you know, we think like God's not passive. You know, see, so God's not there just passive. Well, I'll just see what they do and then I'll make a decision. God's pursuing us. Isn't that neat? That, that no matter where we're at, God... God's interested in every aspect of our life and he's pursuing. But what he's wanting is, is there's this picture of God wanting our heart. It's our, his, our affections. He wants our affections. Why? Because he knows if he has our, our first love, guess what? Everything else falls underneath it, right? All our priorities get sorted out as God becomes our first love. And we know what a first love is, right? And you ask somebody that's going to get married, what's your first love? Well, it's, it's my special my special one. That's a first love, right? And God says that's where the place he wants in every believer's life. That first place. In other words, God doesn't, it's, it's God's not like, um, you know, sometimes we think of, um, well, God wouldn't do this. But yet, when we think of the God of scripture is that he wants our hearts and he won't take second place. That's what it means. He wants our first devotion, our first love. Um, and I believe that, these, uh, that uh, these men actually, when you start reading this passage, verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do for you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. See, at this point he admits it. <laughs> Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh, the capital L-O-R-D. You normally, that, that, was, that, was a, that means that they were calling upon the true God of heaven. O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. And when they, when they picked him up and they threw him in the sea, guess what? Total calm. Now, if you'd ask Jonah at this point, how's your day going? <laughs> I mean, think about, you know, Jonah, Jonah's thinking, are you serious? I mean, I thought I was leaving to go to Tarshish, and now I'm in the mouth of this whale or this fish, this great fish. And uh, I don't think Jonah would be saying, well, you know, it's going okay. I think he's going like, man... My life is falling apart. It is just disaster at this point. I mean, not only is God going to sink a ship, but it seems like, and I tell him to throw me overboard. I think Jonah was expecting to die. But what's beautiful about this picture is that what 
Jonah is unwilling to do for these men. To t- I mean, he was unwilling, and yet he died for these men. In other words, that wasn't his goal. God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, willingly, what? Is hurled into the very heart of God's wrath. That's a picture of propitiation, by the way. It's God's, appeased, God's wrath being appeased by what? His justice is being satisfied in the death of Christ for us. Jonah's an unwilling picture of what Christ willingly did for us on the cross. And so, so when you read the Old Testament, you have to remember that Jonah, even Jesus said, Jonah is a picture of Christ. Three days and three nights, what? In the belly of the fish. And then what happens? He gets thrown up. I can't imagine. I, I, I was picturing, you know, Jonah, Jonah covered in slime. <laughs> and you're thinking like, how's your day going? He's going like, not very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm surviving here. Uh, but uh, the true worshipers, God is pursuing. And guess what? God has already got some Gentiles coming into the kingdom through Jonah's disobedience. See, God isn't, see, God's not hindered. You say, well, you know, God can't do that. Yes, God can. I mean, God, God convicts these men, even though this disobedient prophet is going his way, yet God is accomplishing his plan. But I want to just close with this third point is that God's pursuing Jonah by not only hurling the wind and not only by exposing his sin, but guess what? God is pursuing Jonah by appointing a great fish. The fish actually be the place, is the means that God's going to use to save Jonah's life, right? Because he's going to be, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, this is a miracle, obviously. Uh, we can't explain miracles. We just know that God is able to do that. But isn't it amazing that God would use the circumstances in your life and my life to accomplish things that we couldn't do on our own? You know, Chuck Colson says this in one, his book on, uh, uh, you remember Chuck Colson was Watergate scandal and all that back in the 70s. Most of us, some of us older people live through that, okay? Younger people probably don't. But what happened is Chuck Colson was on the cabinet, Nixon's cabinet, Richard Nixon. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, they did some illegal things, okay? And, they admit, and he admitted to it and so forth. But he said in his testimony, he said, you know, I always thought God would use my, you know, my, and be impressed with his ability, with his, uh, he said, you know, he was a lawyer. He was a well-accomplished lawyer. Uh, He said, I thought God would use those things in my life to really be a means of touching the world. But he says what he found out is that God used his greatest mistakes, God used even his imprisonment, because he went to prison, to accomplish things that Colson couldn't do. You know what he, what did Colson, you remember what Colson established in prison was, he established what? Prison fellowship. And tens of thousands of men and women have come to Christ through that. God used his weakness, his, what he considered a disaster, a struggle, to, to, to reach people that he wouldn't be able to reach unless what? He'd gone through something like that. What you go through and what I go through, God often uses those trials as the very means to minister to people who are going through similar type things. And that's why God, how God does that and, and, and all that goes on through that. Uh, you know, we can't understand how it, he accomplishes it, but he does. Uh, but... Here we see what happens in Jonah's case, even though in his rebellion, Jonah needs one thing that those men need and Nineveh needs, right? 
And by the way, what we need, God's mercy. That fish <laughs> represents God's mercy to us. John, I, I'm not going to give you what you deserve here, buddy. You're going to go into the fish stomach, but I'm going to preserve you for those three days. And I'm going to, you know, God's taking care of Jonah. Now, we're going to look at his prayer next week. But think about it. Jonah is going to be able to preach mercy in a way that he couldn't preach it before, right? If you've experienced mercy, God's mercy, you are able then to look at somebody else that needs, that God says needs mercy and, and able to share what God has done in your life. Uh, and uh, so no amount of running is going to be able to keep you from hiding from God. No, nothing that we do. And it's wonderful because God's grace, it's, somebody said that, it's, that God's grace is, sometimes it's difficult but it's always intentional. Sometimes it's difficult and hard to understand, but God's grace is there and it has intention. The intention is for God to make us more like Christ. How he does it and the circumstances all about that, we'll never be able to understand that. But for one thing for sure is that the very thing that Jonah needs is what I think not only did those Gentile nations need, not only does America need today, I mean, think about it. Where's America? We've just totally abandoned reality, haven't we? I mean, we say things are true, but, you know, reality is, it's, reality, you know, you know, is, truth is established by what's real. And what you say is real doesn't make a difference if it's not real. I mean, in other words, tr people know the difference, right, between reality and unreality. And yet, in, in America today, that's, that's where we're at. But the, America needs what Jonah needed, what you and I need, and what uh, the church uh, offers to the world, and that is his mercy. Because what happens in chapter 2, Jonah says this. He says, salvation is of the Lord. And that's our testimony. Salvation is from God. God gives it. God is the author of it. God is the one who provides it. God is the one that saves. Because God's in this he's in the business of rescuing us. Not just from our sin, but from ourselves. Our blindness. Jonah was blind to who he thought he deserved God's mercy because he was a Jew. And isn't it easy to think that I deserve something from God because I am? Rather than saying, you know... Grace means unmerited. That means I don't earn it. And what I deserve, God doesn't give because he's a God who's in the business of rescuing me from myself and from my sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we open uh, chapter 2 of uh, Jonah next week, we see, Lord, the intensity of his prayer as he cries out to you for your mercy and your grace and your deliverance. And Father, may we be at that place in all of our uh, all the things that we are going through in our lives, help us always to just bring uh, our needs, Father, to the foot of the cross. And there, Father, cry out to you for your mercy. For, Lord, you are not only great, but you're also good. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.